Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode two of Good to See You. I'm Harrison. And I'm Meg. Uh, And thank you for coming back uh, after what was a really overwhelming week one for us. We have been really surprised and grateful at the outpouring we've gotten from all of you who have listened and sent kind notes about the show um, or said that you would be interested in being a guest in the future. Uh, I know that I spent most of the week last week just sending like uh holy crap texts back and forth with meg so thank you all yeah uh how kind of you all were so lucky and so excited to that we have people that want to listen to us keep talking to people because we'll do that regardless of whether or not people listen so yeah so it's an added bonus for sure (laughs) a nice little treat um but this week we have a very special guest we have alex debard um who is our very very first digital recording of this show so indeed um, we recorded over zoom with alex and i believe uh because this was our first time and we were troubleshooting there's a little bit of like little bleeps and bloops and uh, a couple funky parts in the audio but it's nothing too bad but we just wanted to make you all aware if you hear weird audio things we know they're there they were because of a connection issue which i think we have since figured out so and get over it yeah get over it we don't live in a perfect world. We don't. Live, this isn't a perfect world. Um, but this is Alex. She is one of my best friends in the world. Um, we were roommates a few years ago, and we uh, went to school together. She is a good time gal, and uh, we had such a cool conversation with her. So grateful to her for coming on and sharing her experiences and some funny stories. And yeah, we hope you enjoy. Yeah, enjoy. Woke up this morning, didn't know what to do, so I looked around, then I saw you, yeah, it's good to see you, yeah, it's good to see you, we're gonna talk about some stuff and some other stuff too, yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, I, I am not used to this, this world yet. Um, Me neither. Me neither. Yeah, it's, it's, it was depressing for a, for a while, and now I'm just like, Okay, now we have to we have to step up our game. We got to figure out something else. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like we cannot keep doing it like this. But what does that look like? Does that look like filming shows like with a limited cuz like my whole theory is like I think that you could probably get like your top donors put out a very limited amount of tickets mm-hmm. and make it pricey. But stream every performance of it online at like 10 or 15 bucks yes literally i don't understand why no one's charging like theater suddenly became free and also bad like yeah <laughs> there has someone has to give something has to happen i did especially when it gets cold out and these outdoor things are no longer an option or they become 10 times more expensive to do yeah i think people got kind of lucky that as they were ready to start doing programming again and it was during the summer and i don't know what other option there is when it's not hot outside Mm -hmm. i did see like in england they're building set spaces in order to like put the audience on stage but distanced so you're like in a circle around the performers on stage but you're on different levels and distance throughout the levels around them 
And through that, they're also going to like have a bunch of camera angles to do exactly, you know, like stream the show online at like a reduced fee. But it just it becomes tricky because like, you know, look at professional sports like and they have way more money and way more pressure on them to not go out. And, Mm -hmm. you you know, actors on most non-equity contracts, you'd make what you would make working like a part or full time job at minimum wage. Yeah. And and that's the most, you know, so. So I think people would like be going out and like shows would get shut down and it's a recipe for disaster. It's scary though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's the whole thing. Is that like, do you put yourself at risk for the sake of (laughs) theater? Like, I hate that that's the choice now. If you want to do it in the medium that it feels like it was, it was meant to be done in like. You have to potentially risk your life. Yeah, I completely agree. I like would be too nervous. I would be worried the whole time. Am I going to get sick? Does someone around here have it? I don't know. Like, I think the whole trap of like service workers right now is so fucked up because like if you quit your job, you can't claim unemployment. A lot of these restaurants had their servers just like come back this as mm-hmm. soon as they got the okay to come back. They can't quit those jobs because they won't get unemployment. They like are not getting any pay boost. They weren't getting the um, pandemic assistance that came through unemployment. And then then. These um, bars and restaurants are packed with careless people that they have no choice but to serve because there's not a lot of jobs coming um, in or like developing right now or like being created. And so, yeah, these people are left without a choice, like to literally face death to like serve people fucking hamburgers every day. And it is so gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think like shame is a very useful tactic. And we talked actually weirdly in a discussion that we had this dynamic and someone was taking the inverse which is just like well if i how does anybody know what kind of safety precautions i've been taking yeah and i definitely think there's some validity to that which is i'm gonna i'm going to act on my level of risk is going to match my level of precaution and and if i think if that's the way that you operate then fine unfortunately there are probably just a lot of people that are risking uh, without precaution. Yep. Yeah. It's a tough gamble and it's going to be a really tough gamble to know when it's okay for theater. You know, I, I only say this like to, to speak truth to what has happened, but like the union approved two productions in Massachusetts, two sits at the Berkshires, I think. I'm not hundred percent mm-hmm. sure. I'll have to check that. I, I may be incorrect, but, but they put like two, um, productions up this summer that equity approved, um, with all the precautions. And within like two weeks of it being open, they had to cut the house capacity down. Um, and it came out like, and I'm sorry, this isn't talking shit. This is reported in, you know, j- like journal. I'll link to the publication when I can find it. But like the fucking like head of the theater went to the government to try to like the local government to try to lobby for them to have more people there because the economics of theater do not work if you cannot sell full houses and so like yeah we've already tried this non-profit theater non-profit, non-profit. especially yeah. it's terrible i mean it's terrible that it seems like we have no way to fix this and like even the situations like they took all the precautions the show um from what i've read like the staging is distanced all of this stuff, it's outside, and still it couldn't run because it just wasn't safe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what the answers to that are, and I guess it all circles back to like what my first like question question is, which is like, what the hell have you been doing during this? I, for a while, was just chilling on my unemployment, to be quite honest. Cool, of it course. Was, it was like a sick amount of money 
It was disgusting that it was more money than I'd ever made in my entire life. And there was a period where I was real sneaky and was making my extra $600 on top of the unemployment I was already making. And I was babysitting under the table. So I was, I had like mad money coming in for way too long, squandered the opportunity to just live in that. Like I did not cherish it enough. Um, so now I had spent a lot of time the past couple of weeks job hunting and I just got two jobs. So now I'm heading back into the workforce. Um, so I'll be bartending and nannying cool. again. Um, and I've been doing like weird Zoom theater. That's That's been my life during quarantine. And then just like trying to find whatever like actual creative outlets I can. Like I've been songwriting and Christy and I have been jamming in the basement like it's been nice to have a house and a space to be able to do that like living in an apartment was I mean good for what it was but then as soon as like I want to be like loud and like actually jam with someone like having a basement to do that in is really awesome so yeah so we moved during quarantine um got my first house got a cat uh, what's your cat's his name his name's David after uh David Rose Schitt's Creek uh love him he's a menace but uh mm-hmm. he's my son so so i love him <laughs> beautiful boy yeah <laughs> sweet kitty oh my you, God. can you tell the story about david's um adoption yeah it's a it's, it's a it's an interesting wild tale. um <laughs> so we had been talking about getting a cat uh evan christy and i and evan and christy had been taking on the bulk of the searching and uh Evan found an ad on Craigslist and uh, this guy was uh, selling the cats in a Safeway parking lot in Bethesda and Evan was going to go pick the cat up that day that he had found the ad. He showed it to me and I was like, I was like, yep, let's go get a cat today. So uh, he contacted the guy and he was like, oh, well, I'm bringing one of these cats to like some like bumfuck Virginia or whatever. Like I'll drop it off on my way. We were like, that's amazing cat delivery service it's lit so we were stoked and so the guy shows up and uh he was like okay it was 285 dollars to purchase this cat he said that david was eight weeks old and that he had had all the shots and there was this laundry list of things that we were going to get with him litter box toys all of his medical paperwork all the stuff and so this guy rolls up in his toyota corolla and in the front seat there's a briefcase (laughs) he was like oh yeah the cats are the cats are in the car like you can just like pull one out and we're like looking evan's like looking in the back seat and he goes yeah they're in there and i thought now i'm thinking the cat's just like loose in the car but then evan opens up a briefcase and the kittens are inside of this briefcase we flipped out he pulls out david and david is about the size of a tennis ball he is so small like not eight weeks old at all (laughs) immediately we knew this was a scam (laughs) but we'd already fallen in love and uh this guy had already driven all the way out here and it was yeah so uh then we asked him we were like oh do you take venmo or paypal or something he was like no cash only i was like sick you're a drug dealer you bought Uh, an illegal cat like you definitely bought like a drug street animal well like yeah you know, I've had friends like buy pit bulls from their weed dealer. Like that's yep. like a thing that happens. Like that is mm-hmm. a typical side hustle for people who deal drugs. Well, we're fairly certain that 
these kittens were stolen off the street. Oh like they God. were they were feral, and <laughs> he just picked them up and sold them. Have a good time. Um, My cat, uh, Kate's cat, yeah, that has been adopted by me, also started as a feral street cat. And every once in a while, he gets like feral hour, and he like runs and jumps and like. Pfft, like shoots off everything he gets yep. his like street instincts back and it's yep. very Zoomies. fucking funny yep yeah yep that happens to david regularly he'll take a nap and then wake up and wanted to destroy our entire apartment Panic like, tries to jump out the window <laughs> it's insane his ears are like thrown all the way back yep. and his eyes are bugging like he's terrifying he's actually scary yep feral hour hell yeah yep. the zoomies <laughs> that's also hour. very funny yeah. <laughs> yeah beans oh is gosh. like two years old and he still like wakes up sometimes and is i think just like triggered from being on the mean streets of dc as like a two-month-old cat yeah and um just goes absolutely ape shit for like yeah. an hour <laughs> well that's the thing though like david if he was out on the street like we got him and he had to have been like two weeks old oh so God. he was maybe on the street for a week before this man stole him so he he's no he has no right to be acting like that like he has no <laughs> sense of self-preservation like while he's sleeping you could scream in his face and he will not be alarmed he he he's not a street animal he is by every means like a uh, a house cat he's he's a little idiot um but we like went to we went to an atm uh to get money for this guy and we pulled out three hundred dollars and we were like oh do you have change this guy had been selling cats at the safeway so obviously he had cash on him he was like nope no change so he took three hundred dollars from us um and and we brought David home, and shortly after, like, having him home, it was probably, like, two weeks in, he got a terrible infection in his arm. We spent upwards of $1,200 in hospital bills getting his arm taken care of, and because he was a baby when he got the injury and he was having to, like, hold his arm up to walk, his bones were still forming, and they calcified in that position, so he still has a limp, and that's going to be forever. So holy shit, Alex. Yeah, yeah. But do not be mistaken. <laughs> this cat will he can climb a wall, I mm -hmm. am convinced. Like he can climb up anything. He has full use of this. Yeah, he's not he, in pain. He fully yeah. use it. It just doesn't fully extend. It's like if your your human arm was stuck at a 90 degree angle, but like you still had use of the muscles. So he he uh, honestly, I think it humbles him. I think he needs it. Like he, I he also <laughs> imagining it, it that little advantage cup, too. <laughs> that little cat, like that little like teacup cat, like being humbled by something <laughs> <laughs> he needs it though he's so entitled <laughs> he's such a douche he really needs it. yeah so we're we're proud of him for the things he's overcome but uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's he's totally fine he he doesn't know the difference of course but we call him three and a half legged cat yeah he's a good guy that's funny as hell um yeah. everyone this is alex this is like, we're like, I don't know, like 20 minutes into the episode. Hey, fam. Um, this is Alex. Uh, Alex, it's good to see you. Jeez. It is so good to see you guys. Meg and I both went to school with Alex mm -hmm. for musical the theater. That's true. Mm -hmm. At the Catholic University. The Catholic University. Yeah. Um, how did you like, how, this is a question that hasn't been asked on here before, but like, how did you end up at Catholic? Because you're out of state. So like a lot of people mm -hmm. that we've, so like we talked to Johnny and like I know how Johnny ended up there. He's like from around here. I ended up there because I'm from around here. How did you end up there, Meg? Too same deal ish. 
same actually i didn't want to go to school around here but it just kind of ended up being the right thing i also just love dc and so wanted to be there um well i had been at catholic schools my entire life uh and uh cua recruits at private schools generally like that's primarily where they recruit and so someone came to my private high school in manhattan to talk to a bunch of the students and um i didn't really it was like bottom of my list honestly i was like really dead set on going to ithaca the the biggest thing for me was i wanted access to a city when i was going to a school and like the access to washington dc was like too great to pass up so Um, easy yeah yeah the metro right on the campus it was lit um and the school is, I mean, it's beautiful. The Basilica and they advertise. Beautiful like, campus. Yes, yes. Like just being on campus, it was something that sold it for me too, Al. Mm-hmm. It was like to, you don't usually get that with a city, with a school that's in the city, you know, yeah. you uh, an enclosed campus like that. You know, it's like a dorm building on one block and then an academic building on another. And this one, it, it really did sort of have the campus feel that I liked about other schools. Yeah, it had like best of both worlds. Um, yeah. And Ithaca's middle of nowhere. The only other thing that's there is Cornell. And how sad for Ithaca. I mean, Cornell literally, I think, has the highest suicide rate of any school in the entire country. It is dark and I'm sad. I'm pretty over there. sure. I'm going to literally look that up right now because I don't, I, that's like one that is like pretty insane. Um, I would buy that. I would buy that. It is, it's a very sad looking little town honestly yeah there's a gorge yeah. that people apparently throw themselves into famously at cornell to kill themselves mm-hmm. yep yeah i remember oh ithaca gosh. had this like ithaca's i think they're like uh their car stamps or whatever say like ithaca is gorgeous what like, the what a, fuck what a great little dude little I, joke. even in the little just google that i did in the 1970s it was so prevalent for people to throw themselves in the gorge at cornell that it was called just gorging that's, that's horrible that, that that's really like makes some sense. dark ass shit but that's so also dark. like that post-vietnam era like that's like we're talking like post-vietnam u.s we're talking like people who probably went and served and now came back and like yep are are reaping the benefits of that college getting paid for you know oh man yeah that's fucking gnarly as hell yeah knowing that that makes it a lot worse yeah. that makes it really <laughs> terrible <laughs> Oh man, that's vomit worthy. Pure nightmare fuel. Yeah, that's pure really nightmare pure. fuel. <laughs> Only laugh because I don't want to scream. That's right. If it wasn't laughing, I'd be crying. That's yeah, what exactly, I always say. exactly. Um, yeah. Did you? Uh, was there something like particular that you were looking for outside of just like being near a city? That like, I mean, obviously going to school to practice like a creative discipline. There is a different factor, like there is some kind of X factor that's involved in like selecting a location, seeking out a school, a place that is going to invite you to like spend your most formative creative years. Was there something that that drew you to that? Um, I mean, I honestly that I had no no knowledge of. I had no forethought Mm -hmm. when I was going in like in terms of like oh like what's this going to do for my career i didn't i honestly didn't think about i think that. i'm asking more like you as an artist like what is this going to bring out in me alex that is going to like hmm. make me a better creator 
that this investment of four years of my time working on this craft here, you know? I don't know if Catholic had a thing that cool. that drew me in that way. Sure. I think that I definitely, that felt like something that had to be an internal decision and something that I, I mean, like, I, honestly, I feel like I thrive in a city. And so I feel like, just felt like being in a space where I was going to be around a lot of people and getting to meet and interact with a lot of different people was going to teach me enough. Just like having that exposure. That's you know? awesome. That's exactly, yeah. you know, that's exactly the kind of, that's a great answer. That's like a great <laughs> answer to that question. That's what we were looking for. No, I mean, like getting a good cross section. I, I feel very similar to you in that, like, I create best when I have access, when I have access points to like the biggest cross section of humanity possible. And that is in cities, you know, like, yeah, uh, I'm staying like a couple days a week at my parents right now, which is like 45 minutes outside of DC. And like, you know, I do feel a different energy creatively when I walk around the streets of DC versus when I'm in the suburbs out here. For sure. For um, sure. So I definitely get that. And I can totally see that being a super draw point for Catholic and for DC yeah. in general. Because DC is like an unbelievably, I think it gets overlooked in like how much of a political city it is um, and how much of like a suits city it is. But it is really a rich, rich cultural area. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a culture that is, I mean, like it, there's a whole, there's a whole fucking, there's a whole thing to DC. There's a whole culture to it. Different just, subculture. It just, yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I am like indebted to this town. Like honestly, me too. Like, it is, it is, it's given me a lot of, a lot of world perspective that I did not have being, being in New York even. Well, yeah. Cause you're originally from what area of the, New York? The Bronx. The Bronx. Riverdale. So, um, I mean, obviously you said earlier that you moved during quarantine, um, mm -hmm. still within the DMV area. Yep. Uh, was there any kind of thought about going back home? There was at the beginning um, when I did not know what the unemployment situation was going to be like. I did think about moving home. That is something I've been working hard and made a commitment to myself to avoid. I did not want to have to move back in with my parents. Sorry, mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, when you've built something somewhere, it's really hard to walk away from in a uh, momentum-based well, industry, and a, too. Yeah, and I mean, people ask me all the time, like, as someone who's doing stage theater, like, why would I not want to be in New York? Like, why did I not try to go to school in New York? Like, I felt like I experienced it for, for what I was going to get out of it in the time that I was there. I went to elementary, middle, and high school in New York City, and I, I felt like I was formed from where I was going to be formed there. So I, I have goals for myself to live in a lot of different places. And so it felt like going back to New York would be a step backwards cool. for me. That's awesome. For sure. That's definitely yeah. really interesting. And I, you know, I do think there is something to be said for like, it was brought up in the Noah episode briefly, but like the scene around here is just different. Like yeah, the fla the different flavors that you get at every house in town different styles you're able to create based on the unique flavors that each of those houses like have cultivated those theaters have cultivated like i agree with you completely like i feel the draw to dc far more than i feel a draw to new york city yeah um, and just right it, dc has a vibe where like people are like there are there are people that were like born and raised in dc and stayed here but it's the majority of people are people passing through yep. and so you see people from so many different walks of life parts of the world that like I don't know I didn't have exposure to those people in New York and maybe it was the situation that I was in but I uh, there's a lot of New Yorkers that are born and raised in New York and they stayed in New York 
and that's just their life. It's, it's not always people passing through. Absolutely. But you talk about you want to live a lot of different places. Like what would be an ideal next location for you? Like what are you eyeing? Um, I would love to go to LA. I've been talking about doing television and I uh, have been hesitant to try to step into that world. I think just because it is an unknown sure. and uh, there's that fear of failure that that everyone feels when um, going into a, a new sort of career. Yeah, I, I understand that completely. It's ter- fucking terrifying to be uh, yeah. standing on top of something you've built and go, well, should I just like, I guess, walk across this plane until I'm able to start building again? Like, that's yeah, terrifying. When when you're in your 20s, like, that's the time to do that. Yeah. Like, it's... And so I feel like if I don't do it now, if I don't try to do something really fucking terrifying, I'm never going to do it, and I'm going to be an old lady that's sad with regrets, and I don't want to be that old lady. I want to be a cool old lady that did everything she ever wanted and dreamed. So. I, I... That's awesome. And And so if you were to, in a perfect world... You know, when are you looking at when do you, when does LA come into the picture? Pre quarantine, I would have had a different answer. I now I I don't I don't have a timeline for myself. Great. I think that if I were to do it, it's going to be in the next two to three years. We're not even. You haven't even passed mid twenties yet, have you? You're not even twenty five. No, I'm 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 not even twenty four yet. Yeah, okay, you got fucking, dude, I was literally, dude, 23, like, you got so much time, like, <laughs> I'm sitting here at, like, freshly 26, being like, dude, what the fuck, 23? At 23, like, I was a me- an absolute disaster, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I don't feel like a disaster, but I do feel like I just have a lot of life figuring out to do, like, I still, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a daily task, just figuring out my own shit. Right. What do you say, like, probably biggest thing that you're, like, that you're working through right now? Like, personal working through? Yeah. And we can cut Um, it if you don't want it to be in here. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm I'm generally an open book. Uh, I'd say my my biggest thing that I'm working through right now uh, is just my, like, cultural identity issues. I definitely came into my identity late in life um the area that i grew up in in the bronx was primarily jewish i knew a lot of white people i knew a fair amount of black people Um, i knew a fair amount of latinx people uh, but i did not know a lot of mixed people Um, and so it was very hard as a child to sort of grasp that concept and i don't think it was I mean, like, my parents are not mixed. My mom is black and my dad is white. And so they were also sort of walking through this blindly, like, raising mixed children. And I think now there's a lot more resources for figuring out how to do that. But at the time, in the 90s, there were not. And they did their best, but there was just not a lot that was explained to me. And I didn't have a lot of people to look up to. And so it was sort of walking blind and just figuring out based on other people's perceptions of me what what I looked like. And for a while, I thought I appeared white. I knew I had blue eyes. And whenever I looked at people in media, blue-eyed people were white. I knew that I had, like, 
my hair was curly but it wasn't like like tight like nappy curls and so I thought that that was a feature of white people my skin was not as dark as my mom's people thought that my mom was my babysitter when I walked around my town so I thought that they thought that because I was white that happened all the time that's so deeply fucked like on so many levels um yeah yeah shout out to your powerful mom for like fucking looking that my in the dad face. did not my dad did not take those comments as well and it was he was a lot more sensitive to it because i mean it was it was new for him to have any sort of i don't know he's a white man in america there wasn't a lot of prejudices or whatever placed against him throughout his life like not to say he didn't have a hard life but he didn't have the same struggles as my mom so when he would like walk us into a grocery store and the cashier would be like oh we saw the kids with the babysitter the other day like he would get mad and be like no that's my wife that's their mother like it was it was a lot more sensitive of a topic for him I think I mean yeah it was it was hard for all of us and I think that it it definitely I mean, how could it not affect the way that I look at myself? And I thought that, and because of those comments and because of like people like, like, oh, like you're adopted. Like you don't look like either of your parents. Like, and so I then did not know what I looked like. And I was not really forced to address that within myself until I got to college, honestly. And uh, I cite this, this situation and Christy knows I talk about it all the time. Um, but I was living in a dorm at Catholic in Gibbons and <laughs> we, we were talking one day about like getting cast in, in a main stage show or something. And I was like, oh, well, like I can, I can pass on stage as black and I can pass on stage as white. And she was like, no, you can't. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you don't look white. You can't pass as white on stage. And then my brain exploded. And that's honestly when I started really having to look at how I appeared to other people and that's when a lot of fear started to set in because when you don't know how people are going to perceive you when you walk into your room and you know they're going to make assumptions but you don't know what those assumptions are going to be there's a whole other fear in that and it's it's been difficult for me to navigate and then also just being in in the wake of like the Black Lives Matter movement like having to figure out what my place is in that and having to take the time as a black woman to speak out but also having to leave space as someone that benefits from white privilege for um for black people having to take a step back so navigating that has been very difficult and like figuring out when are the times to speak up and when are the times to make space are it's hard right are you finding that you're having uh difficulty or that you may have been having difficulty planting your roots inside of an identity because i was talking to, to um another uh, friend of mine actually almost about the same this same issue he is mixed and was talking about how you know this reckoning that we're having in the american theater and in the wake of the, the murder of george floyd and the um kind of re-sparking of the black lives matter movement he's really finding himself without a paddle because he's like, I turn to the white people and um, they see me as other. And I turn to black people and they see me as other. And I don't, I'm having a hard time reconciling the two. And so he was sort of working through, um, you know, talking about how to honor both of those things at once. And I think it's really interesting. You bring up the certain ways in which you benefit from white privilege. You know, that's a very complicated thing to be working out, to be, 
have two identities inside of you, one of which is obviously benefited greatly from privilege, and the other is liber- is literally in process, and the process has more heat than it's had on it in a long time for liberation. Yeah. And so how do you reckon with those two things? Um, first of all, thank you for sharing your your stories and experiences. Like That is yeah. unbelievable, yeah. and so thank you for, for sharing sure. that. I don't think I got to a point of feeling othered until I was, I became like aware of really how people viewed me. I think that that's something that's like an, an after that happens once you're made aware of the fact that you might not look the way that you think you look. And I, I don't even know how really to explain that. Like I, I have never met someone else, even in the mixed community that genuinely did not know what they looked like and I don't even know if that's a a form of body dysmorphia but I genuinely did not know how I looked like and that's such a weird thing you see yourself in the mirror so I don't know I didn't I didn't see othering like I didn't feel othered I just thought that uh, people thought I was white and uh so I think I think that for me the biggest issue is feeling like this like mixed guilt like a there's a shame and it wasn't a conscious thing, but I feel like I rejected my my black culture for a while. And I it took me until college to sort of find a way to embrace that. And so I've I've always described it as me trying to like find my black. And so I think being in a situation where I feel like uh okay, I'm the only person of color in a room and then there's also the contrast of being okay like I'm the only mixed person in a room and then there's just a whole there's there's just like a an othering on top of an othering on top of an othering so it just gets so jumbled in so many different ways that I don't think I've ever felt like okay I have to make a choice between one or the other I don't know if that makes sense yeah that totally makes sense yeah it's it's still like jumbled up in my mind and so I think that I whenever anyone has asked me about it I do say not because it's difficult for me to speak about because it's just like not because it's like hard but because I'm not on the other side of it yet I have difficulty explaining what my perspective is sometimes we're also you know in the middle of it you don't even have full perspective on it yet because you're sitting in the as you said you're sitting in the middle of it um, yeah. But that being said, I think for the experience that that you have had in your life, you do have really great perspective on how how you have moved through that and letting that inform how you want to move through the rest of your life. That's something that I so admire about you is um, is how you're able to take your experiences and and really uh, take stock of how that has shaped you and. Yeah, I I just um, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, of yeah, course. It's, it's- yeah, I mean, and I I also I started therapy during um, quarantine. Uh, highly recommend. Ten out of ten. Everyone should have therapy. And I specifically requested a therapist of color. I'm using BetterHelp, um, and they gave me a white lady, and she's been trying to help me work through my identity issues but I and then I was thinking about it and I was like I don't know if a white person could help me with this and I don't know if a black person could help me with this like I feel like I needed like a wise old mixed woman 
and I don't know I, I don't know any <laughs> so it felt like a tall order to to ask there to be someone that has experienced what I experienced and to also be a therapist you know right totally so yeah that's always tricky because you are looking whole... in, in my experience with like shopping therapists and and getting the right therapist like you do want someone who has you know like you were saying a parallel shared experience but it is different enough that they're able to offer you perspective you might not have thought of before and i can't imagine yeah. being in your position right now like with one with a specific issue that you are looking and seeking guidance on um from somebody who has lived in a parallel experience from that i, I mean like yeah that must be so complicated yeah um, but are you finding therapy to be helpful and beneficial to you um i'd say not y not yet for my I my identity issues but for for my my other personal problems for sure i think that even just getting to speak about your issues in an open forum with someone that does not know you is very cathartic i have i've felt a lot of relief from just getting to speak with someone was there a lot like, of personal breakthroughs was there like an event or like a period of time that you can point to that like kind of tipped the scales for you into like i think i need third party I don't know if I came to that conclusion myself. I think that there were my my family is full of opinionated uh wonderfully loud people and we we butt heads a lot and I think that it was just in the midst of a lot of that that it came to the conclusion. I came to the conclusion for myself. I'm like, okay, I can't always turn to the people I naturally want to turn to. Like naturally whenever it, something comes up, you want to like call your mom or call your dad or call your sister or call your brother and then it comes to the issue of like okay like now i'm having problems with all of you because i'm an adult person now that has other issues and i need someone else to talk to and i think that that's sort of where that got thrown in and it was my parents idea for me to for me to do it it's one of the best choices i i made and i i mean i always recommend therapy to any human being Anyone born after 85, you better be in therapy. Yeah. That is that is an endorsed statement by me. Yeah. Anyone born You've after 1985, you got to be in therapy. Yes, you went through so many like terrible different crises. Like we're in we're in our second millennial crises. Like this is like in like our third, dude. Like we were kids during 9/11. So yes. crazy. And Holy it's like it's shit. like nothing to us. They were like, yeah, you know, we I was in second grade during 9-11 and then like the yeah. Iraq war was my entire youth and um oh and then like there was like one moment of hope when Obama won um, and then pandemic and then pandemic and oh and then yeah. Trump and then pandemic and so yes. it's just like oh we do uh we've been through it so yeah it's it's also good to talk to people because you know with a lot of these things like it's hard to handle yourself or to handle in situations that you're comfortable because a lot of times like um, I'll speak to my experience. Like mm -hmm. for me, like my bullshit, my depression, anxiety manifests in patterns. And, and it's like doing things that like getting in cycles that I know are bad and then yep. being in them for long periods of time. And so mm -hmm. uh, what's really beneficial um, 
for me about therapy is that like it does allow you to break and stop cycles. It, you get tools that you're able to step outside of. For instance, like a road rage is a good one for me. Like I get used to get really mad when I would drive. And like through therapy, like I would have never thought like, okay, if I just like roll down the window and take a beat and like not fucking flip out at this person and just like think about something else for 10 seconds, I'll probably be fine. And I won't be mad about this anymore because it doesn't matter. And therapy is very useful in allowing you to identify things within yourself that lead to your own unhappiness or further your own mental anguish. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely been a task in refreshing and I use this this phrase all the time in refreshing my adaptive energy because for me it won't be like this big thing happened and I freaked out it'll be like okay this big thing happened and I was able to keep my composure but then a bunch of other little things happened and then it seems like okay Alex is crazy because she spilled a glass of milk and now she's screaming to the heavens like it'll be something like that Mm -hmm. like and I, I have to be able to like for me it's finding ways to collect all of those things and put them aside in order to keep moving throughout the day like it's just refreshing that energy so that if something small happens it doesn't break my back yeah it doesn't send you spiraling into or like stop everything yeah that's wonderful that that's been brought to you yeah Um, i love that and uh what was like growing up um, around you like like so you talk a little bit about that but like did you were you like a creative kid um i I was I was loud and I talked a lot and I think I thought that that was being creative. <laughs> I think it might like also, be. Yeah. <laughs> also, I have to say I have seen a lot of home videos from Alex's childhood over the years. So I would say that she was a creative child uh, based on based on the footage that I've seen. Uh yes. Oh my god. <laughs> um yeah, I think I mean a lot of like my siblings are also like like artists to to some degree. Like my my older brother does graphic design, my little brother does um illustrations and other forms of graphic design. So, I mean, art was just something that was always sort of in my house. So, it didn't feel like I was doing anything abnormal or like particularly revolutionary, but I did want to be on American Idol. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah um you, you said you're making music now. yeah you've been you've been making music did I that have. is that something you've been wanting to do for a long time and have been doing i know you've you've played forever for as long as i've yeah. known you yeah i started writing music in high school um i have always been very tentative about what i put out into the world i have books and books and books of music i've written and very few people have heard that music and so I think I think what I've been working on during quarantine the music that I've been writing is for the purpose of letting other people hear it and so I've been I've been working on collecting songs that I've written or editing or doing something to the songs that I already have written so that I can feel comfortable releasing them to the world so long-term goal is to professionally record some of it but Right now, it's just it's just getting quarantine feelings out and having a creative outlet that feels like it has an end goal so that I have something that I'm working on. But it feels good. It feels good to be in front of a piano or have a guitar in my hands and be able to get some feelings on a page. How sure. do you feel like your process differs from writing for yourself versus writing for release? Because if you have songs and songs of books, right, and you're like, now it's mm-hmm. shifting the focus of 
what you're writing? Like, what is the difference in those two things for you? Um, I mean, when I'm writing something without the the purpose of releasing it, I it's sort of thoughtless. Like, it's it's like word vomit. The thoughts are not really ever connected. There isn't like any sort of like central theme to the song. I just sort of let it flow. And sometimes something really amazing comes out of that, but most of the time it's just a a page of hot garbage. And so I think the the writing that I've been doing now is a lot it's a lot more thoughtful. It's a lot more everything I'm doing is intentional. I I don't want there to be like a lyric that I didn't think about before I I wrote it. Like I I want to be able to look at back at at what I wrote and like say like okay, this is what I meant to say. This is this is how I want to say this. This is a full complete thought. There's more of a feeling of accomplishment for me in that like that I was able to not only like have this feeling like because they they come from genuine feeling but I was able to form it into something that makes sense to me and then could make sense for someone else that it's not just hot garbage on a page (laughs) what subject matters do you feel your attention is being drawn to right now in your writing I it's been a lot of like self-discovery just about like little little things about myself uh one song that i wrote um i've been doing nature walks every day by forcing myself to go outside so that i have some sort of exercise but most of my my writing actually happens when i'm when i'm walking around outside um so it's like type it into my phone um but i wrote a song about my feeling of not wanting there to be a person in the world that completes me i've worked very hard to make myself a whole person like a whole human being and i don't want there to be like my other half like i don't want that to be a thing and so i wrote a song about that feeling about being complete and then letting someone else into my life letting someone else love me in ways that I don't need you to like I don't need you to be loving me because I love myself in all of the ways that I need but just letting my guard down enough to let someone in to my life in in a romantic way do you when you're writing a song do you hear it or do you or or the word do the words come first and then you write from there um you like write the melody from there for me there's usually a rhythm first Okay. Um, and I think that that's why a lot of it comes from me walking around. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I don't. Sense. Yeah, and so usually what'll be happening is I'll I'll be like walking around listening to other music, and then I will hear a lyric and sort of create sort of a, a weird train of thought for me. Like it's like like Google deep dive of the brain, where like I'm like okay, like this sort of leads to that, and this sort of leads to that. What if this little thing became a whole song? And then I'm walking and I hear a rhythm in my head off of this one sort of idea and then mm-hmm. try to form a verse out of it or it's usually a verse first. I usually don't have like I that's the other thing is I'm just I'm so weird about writing a refrain. I hmm. and I don't think that why. gets repeated. Yeah. It's, it's the thesis like, of the song, right? Exactly. And you want yeah. it to be you want it to be the thing that sort of like wraps everything together. But mm-hmm. for me the issue is is like do I make this the thing that really wraps it up like that really has everything together or because that's sort of what a refrain always sort of feels like it's like okay here's the the main thought but I've always been the kind of person that likes to break 
uh, classic song structure. I listened to a lot of Regina Spector in high school. And so I don't really like writing a refrain. So a lot of the time I'll just write a bunch of verses and that feels good to me. And there might be like a mm. line that gets repeated at the end of each verse, but I don't like standard song structure does not feel fulfilling to me a lot of the time. Like I have to, I have to sort of find weird ways around it for myself. Sure. So I've been yeah, that's- into music writing more and I'm finding that traditional song structure these days, especially compared to like what we are exposed to now like music culture has now shifted into all of the genres are sort of homogenized right Mm -hmm. into these kind of like weird amorphous things but i am finding that like i just am finding typical song structure to be boring and hard to write like and i am finding myself to be more like drawn to making music like artists i like like people like tame impala who just like use Mm -hmm. loops and they, they, there is no sort of A and B structure to the songs. And so, yeah, that interests me too. I'm, I'm finding that I'm obviously like at the very beginnings of my like songwriting, mm. uh, my forays into songwriting, but I am definitely finding myself drawn to that more too. So I think yeah. that's an interesting It's so point. much more exciting. It's yeah. when you don't have like a template, it feels so much freer. And it's, I don't know, it's a lot more of a rewarding experience to be able to have looked at the rule said okay cool i'm gonna break it it's just more fun yeah and alex you've always been somebody that kind of that you write a lot like whether it's songs or journals you are somebody that works through things or reflects on things by putting words to it on paper that's not something that i that has ever been my way i so i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that it's a processing tactic like for me i can talk myself into a circle very easily like i can talk and talk and talk and talk forever about something putting it down on a page forces me to not sort of circle around the issue like i am forced to face it if it's on a page um Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely a, a processing tactic for me. I journal, I have a million journals. I have, I keep a dream journal next to my bed. I have like stream of consciousness journaling. Like if I'm like having any sort of immediate issue and I need to just sort of like relax and, and get it off my chest, I just like write every single thought I'm having down so that I'm releasing it into the universe. It feels like it's no longer a burden for me when, once it's on a page. You, um, you touched briefly you're talking about subjects you touched briefly on not wanting people to complete you and i think that's a really good segue into question number one do you have a partner right now uh no i do not single pringle single pringle okay question number two are you seeking um i don't think i've ever been closed off to the idea of of having a another human being as part of my life, I think that I have definitely gone through waves of active searching. I think right now there's definitely a pause on it just because this this forum of dating is a uh, monstrosity. Yeah. It's also maybe I'm maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I wonder if you can relate. I don't know that we've talked about this, but go off. Um, but <laughs> please, please. <laughs> well, just that even if. Right. You just said you are not somebody that's ever really been closed off to the idea, but just it's whether I'm pursuing it really hard right now or not. Mm -hmm. And right now feels like a weird time to be pursuing something very hard because there's a lot of things that are in flux. There's a lot of things in my life that are 
really not as I would normally have them. And yeah. the thought of like trying to bring somebody into that, uh, yeah, it's it just has nothing really to do with not being ready for that or not wanting that. It just feels like n- this is not the time that that would even be productive or yeah successful. Yeah, I definitely don't feel planted right now. And I think that that's something that you sort of have to feel in order to... I mean, for me, at least, I have to feel mm-hmm. like I'm going to to be here in this situation for a minute in order to feel comfortable letting someone in. And there's also the fear of like letting someone in and then it changing your plans. And mm. I don't know if I'm ready to let someone change my plans. I would argue against that in that your plans can only change as far as you're willing to compromise them, you know, like. I do understand that fear and I do block it as being legitimate. And it's something that, you know, is certainly running through my head as someone who like has a constant vision for where things are going. But I would invite you to challenge that in yourself because I do think that that's a narrative that um, if it's something that you're finding may be limiting to you, like, um, you know, the right person, like your plans you'll be able to figure out and be able to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But then all comes yeah. down to finding the right person. And that's, you know, that's a crapshoot. And like, I do think like it can be a dangerous game to tell people that there's always someone that's going to meet up to their needs. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, they're probably, I, I mean, I'm certain that you, I mean, you're fucking awesome. You, yeah. I, this is not to say I don't have gentleman suitors. I definitely uh, have gentleman I, suitors. <laughs> Is there? Is it just like you're just not finding connection with people that have been suiting you? No, I mean, I. this is the other thing about me is I feel like I could force a vibe with anyone. I sure. feel like I can talk to a lot of different kind of people. And I don't... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to break you. <laughs> that is great. That's a really great way to describe yourself. Force I've a never heard you say that about yourself before, but I think that's great i love it <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's sort of debilitating because it's sort of like you don't you don't really know what's real then like am i adjusting myself to you i can't tell yet like it's hard to figure that out initially especially when you're trying to like put your best face on like that's why the early parts are always the hardest yeah and i'm i'm always the person that will run something into the ground like i that has been my detriment in any of my I've never had like a long, long, long term relationship. I think my longest relationship was like nine months, but that I ran that into the ground. It was over, I think, like six months in. And what does I, that I, look like for you? What is like running it into what does like running it into the ground look like for you? Because I can definitely relate to the fact that like I've been in situations where it's like I've just been I personally have just been like too scared to end things, and so like I have absolutely sabotaged the situation sure. that I was I, in. I think I've, I absolutely have sabotaged <laughs> but I I think for me it's been that there's a clear moment where I checked out and or that they checked out and that it should have been over and I feel like okay well like there's like eight other things I haven't eight other tactics I haven't tried to make this work sure. let me like try all eight of these tactics and even if it it breaks my spirit, I'm still going to try so that I can say that I tried everything to make it work. It's more of a it's like in my head, I think it's going to make me feel better about it having ended so that I'm not walking away feeling like I didn't try everything. Which yeah, I is think not I'm the healthy. same way, too. It's well, I always go back to like 
it's so fucking cliche, but like Jason Robert Brown in the opening number of last five years and still hurting says once the foundation cracks and like I dead ass seriously think that's a real thing because every relationship I've been in when it's ended the first time, even if it was for 10 minutes, even if it was like, maybe we should just break up and then like you figure it out and like 10 minutes later um, you're back together. Like I, I promise like it will never be the same. Like that's and right. I have experienced that firsthand like countless fucking times and i agree with you wholeheartedly and i am somebody who also will stay on the ship until there is no more ship like i will ride a ship into the fucking ground because i will the same thing like i don't want to walk away being like well what if i had done that what if i had approached it from this angle well what if like because you know i don't want to be somebody who's like well what if i let a person that i should be with get away which I know yeah, is foolish. It feels like you're giving up on someone. You uh-huh. don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. That feels terrible. Yep. Yeah. It's a rock and a hard place. That being said, have you ever been the person to end things? Oh, I've always been the person to end things. Damn. I've never been broken up with. <laughs> so, okay. Get the so fuck I out guess- of here. <laughs> This Alex so, is really that's cool female time. privilege. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's hot girl privilege. That's absolute hot girl it. privilege. I accept <laughs> it and that I love is. it about myself. <laughs> it's not female privilege. It's hot girl privilege. Exactly. <laughs> but I just find it interesting that you say you run things into the ground, but the other person is still the, is still the one you you do the you are the one that breaks up with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you are you talking about? generally or is this just relationships or i mean i've only ever really had like two official boyfriends i've dated people and i've had like two or three month things but i don't really see those as full-blown relationships i don't know it's hard to sort of it feels like it has to have a label in order for it to be like real but i mean any of those like little things i ended them And even in those little things, it feels like I ran it into the ground. Like I was seeing this guy who he would like invite me over and he would sit and play fucking 2K. And I would just sit there like twiddling my thumbs, wanting to kill myself. And he would just like basically be ignoring the fact that I was sitting there and think that that was a date. And I tried to talk about it with him but it just it seemed like one of those things that he just didn't see as a problem and so I think that that's sort of why it happens where like I will just keep trying to make it work for myself these things that they don't see are an issue and that's why it ends up being me ending the situation the situationship our situationships uh how do you how do you feel about those I feel like that's a really common thing I actually just read something today about maybe why that is so common amongst millennials you know this like we're not in a relationship, but we are not, we are not, not, yes. you know, and we are, there is a situationship happening. How do you feel about that? I'm, is that, it's, do you get it's, frustrated by that? Do you feel like you know how to navigate that? I feel like I know how I'm supposed to be navigating it, but I honestly, like, I don't think I'm, I'm built for it. It's been most of my relationships, I guess, within the past uh, like three to four years have been situationships and they're 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 never satisfying it's always there's always something missing and so they end up being a lot more painful than they're worth um, because I feel like I definitely invest my myself in things pretty quickly I give a lot of myself really quickly and 
I I'm not sure if that's the thing that makes it not work like the fact that I definitely get I give my trust pretty openly like and put a lot of stake into things before I really know how they're they're going to end up and then I retreat it's not a it's not a fun or healthy little cycle to be in it's it's definitely something I'm I'm working to break out of for myself but I mean they're good for for a little while like it's all the the fun of a of a relationship without any of the the commitment or the the labels um but then at the end of the day like you're still left without something so ideally what does the next something look like for you like the next like my next what are you looking for well what are you yeah what are you looking for in a partner what do you what have you learned from previous relationships like that you think would make it better this time around um i definitely look for people with ambition and goals uh i have like i i want someone that's like a a creative but not someone who that's their career i think that that's something I need to to break out of because I've tried dating artists and uh like that that's their whole life and actors primarily or musicians and shit um a little of both um and because I will say yeah I agree with you too creative people that are not fucking like that this is the thing that they're that feeds their soul like only yeah for sure I need you to I can tell you about my day and you'll understand all of the words I'm using, but mm-hmm. you're not also doing this with me. Or like, potentially at the same job that I was at today. Yeah, we're and not doing a show together. That is hard. And let me tell you, as someone who's been in that situation before, it's fucking hard. And and one of the really hard things and something that people don't consider that like does factor into relationships and create resentments is that like in the arts, like there's this movie, Don't Think Twice, that really perfectly illustrates this, which is just like, when someone catches fire, it's very likely that they, as they catch fire, there are a bunch of people that are just as good and just as uh, worthy and whatever that are being left behind. Mm-hmm. And something that's really tricky is, is careers accelerate at different points, right? Yep. Um, and something that I have experienced in my past relationships with artists is that like either I'm accelerating really fast and theirs is decelerating and they're, and that's causing stress or mine is decelerating really rapidly for a little while while theirs is heating up and like juggling those two things when your livelihood depends on it is unbelievably hard and it's it's, it's impossible yeah to, to not develop it's resentment like in a situation impossible. like that it is unbelievably hard and near impossible and it requires an immense amount of internal separate worth from both yeah. the relationship and from your career and like to find people um in their 20s who are in that position that they feel comfortable with both of those things and able to juggle them and a relationship is i mean it's fucking insane it's ludicrous to think of you know well that's the thing when you're young too is that like it's just it's it's hard to find people that have themselves figured out like at all and i i feel like that's sort of the the spiral that i'm in right now is that like and i i generally date guys that are older than me I don't know. It's it's impossible to for me to find someone that's my age or a little bit younger even that that I feel like I'm on the same maturity level as them generally. Yeah, I've only Uh, ever dated people my age or older. 
yeah, yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot easier and i that's the other thing is that like just because my career and my life are so scattered i need someone consistent i need someone with consistency with their schedule with their life with the way that they are as a person like i and need who doesn't need stable. me need yeah me. you know like yes. their self-worth is not dependent on what i need to get done like 100 percent. you know if i need to do something uh, like sh shows are so tricky and that's why it's hard to date normal people is like to be able to go like hey sweetie i know you're coming in at 5 p.m but uh i'm on my way out the door to go do my show uh <laughs> see you later and if somebody's <laughs> self-worth is directly pinned to the attention they get from you or vice versa like that will never fucking work out <laughs> yeah I mean, like, quality time is not one of my biggest love languages. Not me neither. So I feel like if you are texting me good morning, like, that's enough. Like, I don't need to to be around you 24-7 in order to feel like you care about me. Are you a words of affirmation person? Words of affirmation? Uh, for sure. Physical touch? Is that Words two? of affirmation and physical touch Yeah, those touch are my, are my two, two biggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Meg, what are you? Yeah. Aren't you QT um, and... I'm acts of service is yeah. number one mm -hmm. and, and quality time is number two. I mean, that's the thing is everyone needs all of these things. It's of not course. like, sure, of course. like every, these are everyone's love languages. It's just a matter of where they fall on the line. Like I love, I would absolutely lose my mind if I came home and someone had done the dishes for me. I would, I would scream. I would cry. I'd be so happy. Yeah. That oh, would yeah. be amazing. It's like walking into a clean trash. space. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. It's unreal. It's unreal. That feels so good. Because that's being seen. That's, dream. you know, having your needs recognized prior to you expressing them and then being met. Yeah. You know, but I mean, that that's also that's also just the thing about like people is that we we love the way we want to be loved. And so I don't understand why it's it's it can be so hard for people sometimes to figure that out. Like even like I could have guessed that your your main <laughs> love language was acts of service. You're constantly doing things for people without being asked like that's that's the way you love people and that makes sense that that's the way you want to be loved i'm always telling my friends like bitch i love you like i i need someone to tell me that so that i can tell you that like, i was gonna say yeah me, i'm on the same thing i was gonna say people i guess that like know me could probably guess that like i'm a words of affirmation person because i'm always texting my friends randomly like i'm so fucking proud of you and i love you <laughs> yeah. meg can attest to this as she gets them too yeah. yeah i mean yeah. like yeah that is that's totally my thing and you know mm. i fucking one thing that i really hate about this pandemic is like i like love to greet people with a hug and like not being having to have that weird like is so like maybe bad. touch elbows yeah. maybe like do an air hug sort of yeah. situation if yeah Terrible. do a christian side hug you know <laughs> but like <laughs> but like yeah no so i i yeah and i do think that people do express their love languages just in the way that they act towards other people because meg like you are so much an acts of service person 100 percent. yes yeah and i don't know if you all have read the book um but i read the book a few years ago um actually gosh <laughs> as some character development. I was trying to figure out what love languages my character had. How ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> like, and then I was like, oh, I guess I could do this for myself too. Like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe this is why you're yes. such a good actress, um, Meg. People don't that's know. Such a great, People really that's a, are not hit. That's a great tactic for getting to know your character. It really oh is. God. I would have never thought yeah. of that. That I and mean, knowing their on. astrological sign are the two biggest things I think for knowing uh, a person and a character in general. Like, I feel like that and, tells you a lot. 
Right, mm -hmm. of course. And of course, all of these things like are just generalizations, but that's exactly what I have. That's the point of access, right? For anybody is just like, I need to make a generalization about you and then we'll get a little more specific once I know you better, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, but I, but that's the whole thing about the book is the point you're making Al, which is you are going to love in the, w in the way that you want to be loved. Pay attention to the way that your partner is doing things for you is, is doing things for you pay attention to what they're doing because that's all they want yeah you know yeah quality time people do people that are like primarily quality time do confuse me a little bit like because like, i like sit want... in silence a lot with people that i am with like we talk a fair amount but like truthfully like kate and i like spend a lot of our time like just in the same space doing our own thing and so like is that quality time i don't know not like we don't talk and like share things but like we do spend a lot of time like She's playing her own game. I'm like making music, but we're in the same space. Does so like, not, I don't know. Does that not count as quality time? Would to you? you consider that to be quality time? Like if we were that sitting is, in the same room, not that's, doing anything? That's what I think is the big thing for quality time people. Like people that that need quality time as their like biggest love language are like people that are okay just like sitting next to you on the couch doing two separate things. As long as we're like together, that's quality and time. That confuses me though. I cannot, I can't vibe with that. Like I, we can sit there, like that's okay, but that's not going to feel, that's not going to fill me with any feeling of, oh, you care about me or like I'm like, oh, it interesting. Because oh. I connect oh, with the alone really plus thing. Like when I'm looking to date somebody, like I want someone that like being around them feels like an enhanced version of being by myself. Because, like, when I'm by myself, like, I'm the most comfortable that I am. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to think and say what I want to say. Like, you know, when I'm myself and not attached to anything or anyone, like, that's when I am happy. Like, when I am by my, sure. doing my thing. And so to be with somebody and it to feel like I'm experiencing the same amount of self-fulfillment and, like, love and all this shit that I feel by myself and I feel like I can act as purely like myself as possible... That to me is like a lone plus, like being with Kate for me, like in the same room, sitting there doing nothing is like, yeah, I would be doing this at my house by myself, but it's better if. But is that something that you guys were able to do like at the beginning of your relationship or is that something that developed over time? That I think like the quarantine uh, elevated it because like yeah. we had only been talking and seeing each other before the quarantine for like four months and then we like mm -hmm. basically decided well like if we can't if it's going to be complicated because we live in two different states like we might as well just stay together like in the same space so we've been like living together essentially since mid-march sure you know i think it's something that developed but it didn't take very long i don't know we're both also like very comfortable around each other and so it's not like there's not a lot of seeking going on and your people that are really comfortable uh, spending time by yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, and so it doesn't feel like just because I'm around you that we have to be interacting. There's no obligation you know, to entertain. We have to be. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't think I like, I, I don't think I would want that either, but I am a person that's very extroverted. And I, I mean, like, I like alone time every now and then, but I, I don't like being alone for extended periods of time. Like, I need people like badly and so when i'm with people i'm like fully trying to think of ways to take advantage of that like especially sure. now and so i'm like what can we do like we need an activity like let's do something together like let's play a game like we can't just sit here for <laughs> like, instance 
last night uh alex <laughs> alex and i we spent some time together with our friends uh we've been a little quarantine pod mm-hmm. um and it was kind of a chill night everybody just like sitting around the living room and alex and i really were looking for what's the next thing what's gonna happen what are we doing so we we performed a dance for our friends to I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, obviously. <laughs> and <laughs> it was completely improvised. Um, it was completely improvised and honestly excellent. Um, I was also just like fully, <laughs> fully stoned. I was on. <laughs> I had taken a massive edible. <laughs> I was not. I was just vibing. But uh, oh, yeah. Uh, but uh-huh. I was. Uh, no, I'm serious. You tap that pen. It sure, was charging. Sure, ta- okay, you weren't stoned. You, you were have- medicated. You were medicated. You didn't have You're it. I didn't. I actually didn't. I was drinking uh, Optimal Wit. Um, what? And uh, opt- Optimal Wit. It's a beer. Yeah. I never heard of that. Um, uh, for a second, I was like, is that like a, a local, nootropic? It's a local beer. Is that like a no, nootropic no, it's energy drink? I would recommend. I would recommend Optimal Wit. It's a good guy. I'm less interested in uh, the beer than I would be like a drink that makes you smarter briefly. I would love, fucking love that. <laughs> sure. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> smart water yeah exactly you know actually speaking of that uh when i was in elementary school i wasn't really allowed to like buy lunch a lot my mom didn't give me money to buy lunch i brought my lunch every day but when i would have a test she would give me 65 cents in my lunchbox so i could get some smart food from mm. the cafeteria because it would it would make me smarter for my test That's so great. you know actually very little cute. things <laughs> It Thanks, is. Mom. It's. It's very cute. <laughs> Thanks, tender. Really tender. I back to love languages really quickly. I will say that quality time is important to me as somebody that is usually running around all over the place because it's like if I'm spending my time with you, I'm making this a priority. Like this is important to me because I there's probably a lot of other places, people, things that I could be doing. For sure. I would say the one that confuses me the most is gifts weird uh, yeah i'm sorry it's a little bit like it's weird but me. no disrespect it's i like, like gifts i do too but like for me to like be getting my validation from my partner off of them like giving me oh, gifts yeah. is to be like fucking weird i'm sorry not all my there's validation a- but there's right. something nice about like you were out in the world and you saw something and thought of me like wow yeah something very nice about that yeah and i do that kind of shit too like you know it's thoughtfulness i mean right because the root of it is you were thinking of me and you know that i you know what i like you know these things but yeah it just feels like that there has to be something physical like to be the messenger of that thoughtfulness instead of just like yeah i feel you on that we talked like briefly you touched on being stony baloney Mm. um what are your vices my vices yeah like um, if you're like i like have had a long ass day and like i need to i don't know relax unwind i love an edible i and i've i that's sort of been something that like waves in and out of my life like during college we were constantly on edibles it was very hard college. to catch me not on edibles in college <laughs> like 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 get home from class eat your edible we're high for dinner like yeah that was that was constantly our lives like we lived together for Ah. two years in college and that was those two years it was all right what tasty video we making (laughs) and what uh, tasty video oh my gosh one of my best memories of us ever hi 
listening to the Wicked soundtrack, making uh uh what's it called chicken parmesan stuffed garlic bread oh meg we were not Best just listening day. to the wicked soundtrack we were comparing versions of defying gravity of That's course what we, were, we were yeah yeah best day <laughs> yeah best day which is also like if you describe that to me i'd be like okay mm, are we doing that tonight <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah i i love an edible um but i also um i I'm a, a rum girl and I love rosé. Uh, I'd say those are my, my big my big things. Oh yeah. I have not tried very many other drugs. My my drug use is very minimal. Um mostly just weed. I think that's probably yeah, a good way but, to be. Um, I heard somebody on a podcast yeah. when I was very young say like you don't need much more than like light beers and weed. And like, honestly, that's yeah. something I have taken to heart deeply because I've done some other drugs, not too many. Like, as we, as I said on the no hep, like I don't have much interest in them broadly, mm-hmm. but I, you know, those things will serve you pretty well. A little rum, a little edible, like that'll, that'll treat you real right. I have been very interested in hallucinogens though. And I definitely have plans to, to try something. Mushrooms rock if, if, and they are probably the best introduction because from everyone that I know, like that has taken acid, it's like, it's even more intense. And like, Mm. I think mushrooms, like the, I've had a couple mushroom, mushroom experiences that it's like, that was a bit much for me. So (laughs) I don't know if I want to step up into the big leagues. (laughs) That was a wee bit much. There's definitely something about it that's that's been like scary to me. I don't like the idea of my vision changing. Something about that for me really terrifies me. But the thing that's made me feel better about it is just hearing other people's stories. So whenever I can, I'm listening to people's experiences with with acid or shrooms or whatever, like because it makes me feel like I might have more control over the situation than I think. You'll probably, as someone, if you've used marijuana relatively heavily, like via edibles, whatever, like I don't think that like a mild mushroom trip is that much more intense, except for the mm-hmm. visuals, than like a really strong edible. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, that it, bad trip thing though scares the shit out of me. I've only had it happen one time and it was on, on mushrooms and I yeah. had a bad trip uh because i went i had just learned of some personal trauma like within Mm -hmm. two hours of before taking them and like it wasn't even that it was like i was confronted by demons it's just like the whole trip was dark like yeah i just like had nightmare before christmas visuals like i was outside and so like the trees kept like leaning in to like Mm -mm. fuck with me and shit like that and so uh, but it only lasted ultimately for like 30 minutes to an hour of the like what was four or five hours. And so did it feel like 30 minutes to an hour or did it feel longer than that? I mean, it felt like I was gonna die. <laughs> like there was definitely like a brief moment where I was like, oh, like, yeah, because it was saying like to me what it was saying. And, and uh, I've I've been in situations where people are tripping and someone has a bad trip and talking to them after like. What mm-hmm. happens a lot of the time is that you have something that is bothering you that the mushroom reveals unfinished business. You know, like I've had friends yeah. text exes and be like, we're all good. I don't hate you anymore. When um, 
you know, when they're tripping on it, you know, I've had like friends like call their mom and be like, I don't tell you I love you enough. Or like in my case, like I wasn't fully, I hadn't fully handled an ex cheating on me. And so I went into the trip and it was really dark because I was caught in a thought cycle of like, oh, I have hate in my heart and in my brain. And like, unless I release this, like I will not have a good time tripping. I can get behind that. And I think that the, I really got into dream journaling for that reason. And your subconscious is such a weird thing that if you, if you don't have a handle on her, She's going to ruin your life. She's going to get you. Like you have to address your subconscious or else because it's going to come out in one way or another. And that's why people have nightmares. Yep. Hmm? It's why people have nightmares. It's why people develop problems. Like it is bad. Yeah. And that's why I always tell people. And I, I, my friends called me Dr. Dream for like my last year of college because I was interpreting people's dreams for them. But it's a very easy thing for the average person to do. The information is out there. And it's important for you to take stock of what's coming out when you're sleeping. Like the stuff that you are suppressing during the day, once your body is relaxed and your subconscious has room to, to come into the forefront of your mind, it's going to. So I really, I can get behind that with a, with a drug. If during the day it's going to force me to face something I haven't been facing and even if it's kind of shitty it's happening for some good it will kill your ego yeah but i mean that's that's, around you like you know that's important every now and then you got to be humbled it's important to to see the the bullshit so so uh, you journaled you still extensively journal your dreams Mm -hmm. so what is like the biggest revelation you've what is like one of the most aha moments you've had from a dream and like how did that aha moment manifest itself in the dream world? And how did you interpret that after you were awake? Um, I mean, honestly, every, every dream feels like a little bit of an aha moment for me. Every time I, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't dream every night or I don't always remember, but when I do, every time it happens, there's, there's something in there. There's always something. And I think the the biggest thing the biggest piece of advice i could give with it is that you really have to pay attention because a lot of people will get wrapped up in like the images of what's going on and the important thing is to pay attention to your feelings while it's happening um because that's not always something that people will will write down from a dream They're like oh i saw this i saw this i saw this but a lot of it is just like basic symbolism until you face what it was that you were feeling it's like okay did you walk into that creepy room where your fourth grade teacher was talking to your mom and they were uh scribbling on a scroll or whatever and you did you feel happy like like what what was what was the feeling that's always the most important thing that's that is going to help you reach whatever it is that you need to reach from that like Right, because obviously the the images that you're seeing in the dream are simply but a hallucination in order to evoke that feeling that you're having. You know, you yeah. if, if you if your fourth grade teacher was someone you're scared of, and you go into a dimly lit room with them, mm-hmm. and they're yelling at you, like yeah, you are the more important thing there is fear, yeah, as a, and inferiority as a as opposed to like, well, I hated my fourth grade teacher, and my fourth grade teacher was mean to me, or whatever, like. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that yeah. is awesome and very interesting. And 
now that I know that you're so into dreams, I have a lot of questions about dreams. Are you like, can you like <laughs> lucid dream? Have you been able to do that? Um, I used to all the time and it happened to me mostly when I was in high school because I, I went to high school in Manhattan and at that time my parents had moved our family up to Poughkeepsie, which is like an hour and a half away from the city. And so I would take the train in like an hour and a half to school every day. And so I would wake up at like five o'clock in the morning to get to school and I was really not awake I was just sort of going through the motions until I got on the train and then I would fall back asleep and I always lucid dreamed. Like every time I was on the train, it was every time. And it was so scary. There's something about it that's really fucking scary. Like, yeah, it is scary as hell. I've had some really fucked up lucid. I mean, I have like a weird like reoccurring sleep paralysis thing that happens every once in a mm -hmm. while um, where like I will leave my body like from my bed. Like I will wake up in this dream. I will wake up. I will stand up. I will walk out the front door of my house and be driving my car and go I don't remember waking up and then all of a sudden crash my car and wake up like yeah. I have that pretty regular car dreams are the worst yeah. oh my god yeah. and that's actually and I that's the thing I would say I learned the most about myself and it was a lot of car dreams that like this sort of came to be because I have car dreams all the time I'm always having dreams about crashing my car and that is my fear of losing control and that is something that comes up in almost every dream I have. There's always a little bit of you're afraid of losing control. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned about myself from the dreams. But yeah, the lucid dreams are are, are fun sometimes. Um, and then there's there's usually some form of sleep paralysis that happens towards the end of it because I'm in sort of like a half consciousness. And then I can hear everything that's going on around me. And when I was on the train, it was really scary because I would hear like Harlem 125th Street. And I knew right after that that we were pulling into Grand Central and I needed to wake up to get off the train. And if I didn't, the train was going somewhere else and right. I wasn't going to school that day. <laughs> so there would be like, OK, wake up, wake up, wake up, like happening in my head. And I could not wake myself up. And I would feel like my heart was like racing and I couldn't get myself awake. That happened almost every day. Yeah, it was not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not it was not cool. It was not cool at all. Oh my gosh. So with the knowledge of all that and obviously being interested spiritually, um, because I don't think anybody who you know would be interested in in the exploration of the mind through dreams mm. wouldn't at least be spiritually inclined and interested. So like do you consider yourself to be like a person of faith or a person of religion or? Um, I would identify myself as a Christian that does not practice in the traditional sense. Okay. I don't go to church. I pray a lot. I believe in like the basics of Catholicism, but I have a hard time letting myself be connected in any way, shape or form to the Catholic church. And so I think that that's why I've like sort of labeled myself as in a broader sense as being Christian. But I, this is something that I've, I've spoken a lot about during quarantine and I've been um, trying to explore for myself is that I don't like organized religion. I don't like the idea that I have to subscribe to a full set of someone's ideas in order to identify one way. And so I have been reading about like other ways of exploring your spirituality. I was reading a book about uh, getting in touch with like your spirit guides because I really... 
um i really like the idea that they're and it be it like ancestors or whatever that are sort of walking around with you through your life to sort of just help you through it like that there's people looking out for you down here that have a greater knowledge um there's something very comforting and i i don't know it makes me feel good to to think that there's like people around that are looking out for me spiritually and at the end of the day like that's what that's the question right like how are you what helps you navigate this whole thing what makes you comforted knowing that this ends yeah at some point and i think that's a beautiful um that i think that's a beautiful thing that that you believe and that you try to be in touch with yeah i mean just the whole the whole concept of of death has never felt good to me it i did not experience death for a while and then when i was um 17 is i i had just graduated from high school um one of my friends just had a heart attack and died wow she was she was 17 like that and she had ms and they said it was a complication from that but it it, that's such a rare complication that um i mean it was just it was just a freak thing and so then that's sort of when i really had to face my own mortality and having to face that at that young age is is very uh it's trying it's, it's but also it's hard on the soul but also sort of i mean a lot of like children have experienced it maybe with a grandparent or somebody older in their life there is something to be said i also didn't experience um death until later in my life and you know in your late teens there is um it being the first time that you are reckoned with it um is really deeply painful because you can understand I, yeah, there is I also mean, something different, though. I, if I may, I'll, I'll totally let you go back out. I, th- I do yeah. think there's something different, though. Like, I lost a grandparent at a young age, and um, it was, you know, obviously horrible. But there, there was something different. Like, when I, you know, I, I've talked about, like, my experience getting into theater was, like, the thing that broke the camel's back was, like, a girl that I had, like, gone and off dated in high school, like, died from leukemia. And, like, when somebody your age passes, like, it is so inexplicable and it is so um uh, it does force you to face your own mortality in a way that like is very real because your parents can parse a grandparent you know your grandparents are old it makes sense that you're not going to have them your entire entire life but like your friends also yeah. as a young that's child seemed- it makes it feel far away yeah that's that's yeah that's the point i was going to speak to that it's like it's something when when it's an older person passing away it's a lot easier to explain away to a child like that that's just something that happens when you get older when it's someone that's your age then it feels like something that could just happen to you at any time and that's hard to grasp when you're a kid like honestly i'm like i was a child essentially and it was it was hard um to sort of come to terms with the fact that like yeah, something random could happen and you could just die. And how and then that's has that sort of when you your life? Like, yeah, I was going to say, how, you're literally about to get to the question I was going to yeah, ask. Yeah. <laughs> you were literally going to say what yeah. I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it has forced me to explore the different 
forms of an afterlife that could exist and i don't like the and it's strictly that i do not like the idea of there being nothing and to the point i do not like it to the point where i just simply cannot believe it i cannot believe that there's just nothing there can't i i'm with you there cannot be i'm here so that in itself is inexplicable the very fact that the three of us are here is literally inexplicable mm-hmm. like at the same time you know yeah. and, and to think that, that that there's nothing after this seems absurd because i know for a fact i couldn't tell you what it was but i know for a fact that i was somewhere before i am here like i don't i yep. can't go like yep. oh i was like a victorian shoe cobbler or whatever the fuck people <laughs> like say was their life but like i do definitely know that like this is not that foreign and it doesn't feel like the final form no no there is like there is a before this and there's an after this and um i don't know if i have found uh comfort enough in an idea yet because i again like we can we can all speculate about what it is that happens i feel like the most important thing for us and i actually came to this realization after watching the movie sausage party Uh, (laughs) it's all one great big food orgy well the thing about that movie is that they don't know what exists outside of the store they don't know what there is and so they have created for themselves it's a it's a great explanation for humanity is that they've created for themselves this idea that allows them comfort while they're in this situation and they're wrong they're terribly horribly wrong about what it is that goes on outside but the most important thing for them was that they were not living in fear the entire time and i think that that's that's what religion provides or what it's uh, supposed to provide in my mind is that it's meant to bring me comfort on earth it's not meant to tell me to tell me how to live it's supposed mm-hmm. to provide earthly comfort for an unknown Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. supposed to give me a a reason to keep moving something right something understanding exactly not not the playbook yeah yeah and i i had a long conversation with my mom actually about this between and maybe it was my dad about uh the difference between like a religion and the institution like that we have a lot of trouble separating a church Mm-hmm. from a religion yes like what is the belief system and then this is the building in which it happens and this is the system that was created in which to fil- facilitate these ideas i su- i'll subscribe to the ideas i don't have to subscribe to your institution and why are you able to tell me that i'm not this thing just because i didn't go through your motions that feels ridiculous to me and to so, me, what you just described, weirdly, I think it's also people's experience with politics, too. Hmm. Like, which I know you're talking about, like, um, Megas, Megas, cheekily smiling. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, I agree. Like, I think people's belief systems are extremely complex. And, like, to try mm-hmm. to label them as, like, I mean, in the U.S., we have, like, five religions that basically people. Yeah. And so to try to say that, like, my exact complex belief structure and my experience, which is completely different from from almost anybody else in this world, to say that we could possibly be able to fit under even 50 umbrellas of religion that we all agree 
are the same is insane. Which yep. is why I agree with you that like organized religion like makes absolutely no sense because um in faith that is something that is supposed to be so personal to try mm -hmm. and make it uniform is so bizarre. Like yep. and I do agree that like faith needs to be taken outside of the church because like the church is merely but you know, a theater with which like rituals or plays about uh, religion come to life once a week. Yeah. Yeah. And to to relate this all back to my my cultural identity issues that I have never let someone else's definition of black or someone else's definition of mixed affect the way I live my life and because I have this label on me there are there are certain expectations for how I'm going to be or for black people in general to be a certain way and that that thought is being slowly broken down and even in terms of like gender identity that's being broken down like we we can't assume things by the label so why would you assume even within like a, a religious setting that there are certain things that have to happen or have to be in order for someone to to identify as a like in a certain way like it it feels like the, a natural next step like if we're able to break down race and we're able to break down gender like why not break down religion like why does it have to be why do you have to be all of the things or nothing 100 percent. i think it's the way forward i think there being some greater understanding of like you know there is no way for people to be all of the things like like but that's the thing about putting uh, putting these like necessities on top of a label is that they're based on your personal experience. Yep. And then you're assuming that every other human being is experiencing the exact same things that you are. And that's therein lies your privilege and therein lies your, your corrupt mentality. Like it's disgusting to think that every other human being has lived with the privileges and access that you have had. Yep. Okay, you ready for the power I, well, round? I was gonna okay, say, you hit it, hit, hit it. I was just going to say, you know, you were saying there's no right thing. And I think like the only right thing to practice or belief is in terms of religion is whatever gets you to accomplish the greatest good, mm -hmm. right? Like whatever input you um, yeah. are, are, whatever input you have that is going to get good output, stick to that and let everybody else stick to theirs. Yep. You ready for the lightning round, Alex? You ready I'm for the ready. Okay, here we go. When's the last time that you cried? Uh this morning. <laughs> oh yeah. When is the last time that you uh laughed so hard that you cried? Honestly, probably last night. <laughs> okay. Uh this one's a three parter. Okay. Um what's the last version of yourself that uh you look at and don't identify with anymore? What has changed and how have those changes come about? I I think I think of myself as pre Amazing Grace Alex and post Amazing Grace Alex. Um, I think that my perspective on uh, relationships has changed a lot. Um, I think that it it had to do with uh, the just the wide range of people I was meeting. I I it was the first time I worked on a a show with people that 
were not DC regulars and people that had like other like outside life experience in terms of theater. And I think it, the people that I met really changed my perspective on what a, what a friendship is and what, like just relationships in general. I don't know if I could even fully really explain what it was. I just like really, it really changed my, my, my understanding of relationships. It was also your first year out of college, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a huge, I remember that just being a really huge turning point. You know, you're halfway through your first year out of school. Like, so meeting all of those people does have just as big an impact as you're saying, because you've been living in a bubble for four years. It was six months. It was the longest time I'd ever been working on a show in my life. And it really, it was such a quick uh, rehearsal process before we, uh, we were rehearsing for like two weeks before we went into tech. And then yeah. we were doing the show for six months. And so it really, it whooped my ass in a way that I had never had my ass whooped. Yeah. Showed me a lot about myself. And if you could implant one piece of advice into the world for you to hear every day, what would it be? And this can be right now. One piece of advice into the world? That you hear. Like, so that's that you get a piece of advice somehow from the universe that you really hear. Fortune what- cookie. Written on your mirror. A every random morning. kind lady on the street who comes up and says, like, gives you a piece of wise advice. Every for day. myself? Yeah, for you. It's for yeah. you. Oh. If you could give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. I think just to have faith in my talent. I think a lot of the times I, especially living here, um, you're forced to compare yourself to other people's journeys and I think just in art in general there's and from being in school there always feels like there's there's a right way and a wrong way to do it but there isn't and I have questioned myself a lot and I think that that's definitely hindered my growth so I think just having having faith in in my talent I love yeah and um Alex, where can people find you online? Find your work. Um, I'm I'm on Twitter uh, at Alex underscore Debard. Um, my Instagram has recently changed. Oh yeah, talk about that. I actually wanted to open the show with that, and I literally <laughs> forgot. And that's so funny that that just so like your Instagram like got uniquely weirdly fucked over, right? Like yes. So I I don't I'm not fully sure what happened, but my my account it stopped letting me like or comment on anything it stopped letting me follow new people and it was just like not working right now try again later like every time it was like an error message and I was only able to message people and that went on for a month and I just like sort of sat with it for a month and I didn't want to create a new account but I was dying so uh I'm now Alex B Debard the B stands for a bad bitch (laughs) it doesn't my middle name is Blakely uh, but, but yeah. So uh, yeah, so that that account still is up because I didn't want to delete the memories, sure. but I'm I'm not active on that account anymore. Um, so they can so, find you at Alex B Debard. That's correct, cool. Alex B Debard on Instagram. Um, and then I have a SoundCloud. Um, there there is one new song on there, but I'm planning on on adding more. So if you just look up Alex Debard, there's a space between the D and the Bard. Um, you'll find some of my. So my music. Well, Alex, I fucking thank you. 
for a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. This um, was a great time. It was good to see you. It was great to see you. Ooh, Ooh, what up? Shit. <laughs> it's good to see you. Oh, righty. Okay, all right. This is the post-show talk. Here we are. Um, great. There was Alex. Um, I know you don't really see Alex very often. I do. We are, as I mentioned, I think briefly, we're in the same quarantine pod. She lives a few minutes down the road from me, and lives with um, a couple other of our friends. And so we've gotten to spend a lot of time together this quarantine. Um, that has been, she's been one of the four people that I've that I've seen. Um, so yeah, it was cool to have her on the show and talk about stuff that we haven't even talked about in these six months that we've seen pretty much only each other. So yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. I had time. not had a huge chance to sit down and talk with her before, but yeah, she's incredible. She rocks. Yes, I love Alex. Um, she is great, and she. We talked. I want to talk briefly about something from the episode um, that we mentioned. Ithaca was one of her top choices for school. She went up there and saw these bumper stickers and T-shirts about the gorge, which we then talked about uh, how there's a very high suicide rate at Cornell University and it has a lot to do with that people jumping into that gorge and this also is September it is suicide awareness prevention month um so I just want to say that even though you know we were talking about that situation maybe a light-hearted manner this is something that has deeply affected I'm sure all of uh, both of us and I'm sure a lot of our listeners and so we just want to make sure that you all know that there is always uh, there there's so many resources and people that you can reach out to for help and especially in this really weird time to be checking on your people and making sure that uh, while we're in isolation that everyone is still connected and and doing well I did want to go ahead and provide this number for people um, if you are in crisis please contact you can reach out to the uh, suicide hot uh, suicide prevention hotline or lifeline rather it's available 24 hours a day all sorts of different languages and that number is 800-273-8255 again that's 800-273-8255 and i do know i'm seeing right now they also have a chat bot that you can talk with digitally if if phone that's calls awesome. or something that that stress you out or something that you're are not your preferred medium of contact yeah and there's also great organizations i know um like to write love on her arms which does a lot of fantastic work in suicide prevention and uh yeah those resources are out there and i think because it came up on the show and obviously you spoke on it so eloquently that like in a time where people are already feeling isolated it's really important to know that there are options yeah, so I just we just wanted to put that out there and make sure that everyone is that we're checking in on you and you're checking in on others. Um, something else that came up in the episode was you mentioned these shows in Massachusetts that were that had reduced capacity audiences. I can confirm that you said the Berkshires or Barrington. I can confirm it was both the Berkshires hey. and Barrington stage that had uh, shows that had to cut back their capacity in the time since we recorded um there was an episode of the new york times the daily podcast that actually Mm -hmm. chronicles the 
like the development and the putting up of the production of Godspell, the outdoor production of Godspell that's happening right now. Uh, that if our listeners want to listen to, uh, it's a quick listen. I will put the link in the description for the podcast episode, and it you should check it out. It's super interesting. Those people are incredibly brave right now to be out there pioneering, un- making theater under you know less than ideal circumstances to try and help people find a roadmap to bringing us back. So check that out, and uh, if you want to know more about those things that I think we ever so briefly touched on, that's a good place to hear more. Yeah, and just kind of piggybacking off of what you said, it's um, as critical as we sometimes are of theater that's happening right now, like the only reason that uh, they're giving us something to be critical about and to give us a, a roadmap of how we move forward and you know what what works and doesn't and what we at least at least we have something to be critical of i guess yeah and i do want to say what i'm trying to say and i do want to say like you know i i can't recall specifically what was said in the episode about it but that but that at the end of the day like the reason to be critical is because it's life or death right now in many respects like it's literally life and death with this virus and it's also literally life and death with the livelihood of uh you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of workers in this country who are involved in live entertainment so i think if we're not critical we do really risk catastrophe and it's not to be bad i think like criticism is good and it's out of love and like i think what is happening is awesome i think it's awesome that there are people that are uh, trying to make this work and adapting and like um figuring out what the health standards are going to be and you know, it's it's challenging. We're in uncharted territory, as I uh, have been learning in developing pod learning for uh, younger, like, for kids to, like, teach pod learning. It's it's new. It's a whole... Everybody's in new frontier. Oh, cats. Um, you have a cat. Alex has a cat. I don't have a cat. But the two of your cats are two that interest me because they I find that they have really funny personalities... And I've never really experienced that with cats before. Like usually when I encounter them, they're kind of like shy and reclusive and maybe mean. They get a bad rap. They get a bad rap. Yeah, it's true. And I didn't grow up with one. So this is not to say I'm not a cat person or that I'm opposed to cats, but my my exposure is limited. And but these are two cats that I that I I like a lot and would make me consider getting one. I can get down with them. Yeah. Were you always a cat person or um, someone that had cats? I don't think I ever was, like, pledged allegiance. I grew up with dogs, but I don't think I ever really pledged allegiance either way. I'm, I'm allergic to cats. So, like, okay. I've been been building up, I think, like, immunity to it. Like, because when I'm here for a long time with beans, I don't have any issue. But, like, if I work for, like, a long day and come home, the first, like, 20 minutes I'm back, his fur bothers me. Um, but in terms of like their personalities, like, you know, they're, they're definitely different temperament than dogs. But that being said, like this cat has about as much personality as any dog I've met. You know, it's just different. Sure. I mean, I've w- woken up to him like climbing through to like a, a little hole in the blinds, like to say hello think, to us. Do you think that's his street cat sensibilities? that you all were yeah. talking about well i mean he cat. is a diagnosed <laughs> extremely good good cat like we had to go he was acting super crazy at one point and so we took him to a behaviorist and she basically told us that like 
you know, cats have been domesticated for half the amount of times that dogs have. So you're far more likely to end up with a cat that's more on the feral side than you are a dog that's more on the wolf side. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, but that is apparently what is going on with our cat. And, like, it's... So, like, he gets super weird and playful and, like, aggress, almost aggro in the mornings and at dusk mm-hmm. because those are the prime hunting times. So, his body is telling him, like, you have to hunt. You have to kill now. <laughs> Which, like, dogs don't have that really left in them anymore except for, like, big, big dogs like Rottweilers and shit. Sure, sure, sure. And even then, they don't have it. I mean, because they just get conditioned. I mean, we've seen, like, there's studies about conditioning dogs they know when they get fed that's it yeah that's pretty much it i think i think that's pretty much it should we do some plugs (laughs) yeah let's do some plugs uh you can find me on the internet at meg fun and you can find me online at double h double a double r double i double s double o double n um you can listen to my other show super mind exploder which is a weekly cultural and political roundup and always has a guest block for about an hour. The show's about an hour and a half. It's super easy, super fun. It's on all the podcasting platforms. It's also streamed live on Twitch every Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash mindsugar666. You can follow our show at Good to See You Pod on Twitter and uh, rate and review it if it's up on Apple yet. I don't know if it is, but rate and review it if it is. Yeah. And that, I think, is that on that. That on that. All right. Okay. See you later. See you, Meg. Bye. Good to see you. <laughs>